Howdy. Before we begin today, we just want to say special thanks to all of you for sticking with us through Texas Rising. And please come back next week. We're going to have the last installment of our series on Davy Crockett. Following Davy Crockett, we're going to try to cover the real history that actually happened in Texas regarding a lot of the people who you met in Texas Rising, including Emily West, the Yellow Rose of Texas. And Deep Smith. And the twin sisters, yeah. So without further ado, here's the show. Hey, remember when there was accidental manslaughter committed right here in front of us? Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. Today we continue our discussion and review of Texas Rising Part 5, Rise of the Republic. But first, what's your favorite historical inaccuracy in Texas Rising? I don't know, but I'm just thankful there are no revolvers. (laughs) All right, not really an answer, but uh, okay. (laughs) Actually, no. Okay, here, I got it. Okay. My my favorite one is the first one. March 7th is not the day the Alamo fell. No, no, it is not. It was March 6th, just in case you want to know history. March 6th, 1836. Yes. I don't want to be all spoilery, but uh, I think my favorite is probably when they everybody salutes the Chilean flag at the very end. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Um, I'll have to say that my favorite inaccuracy is actually kind of permeates the whole series, and it's really not bad per se but it is very much dramatized and that's the fact that they took this whole concept of the texas rangers rangers and took some of the more famous names and they like crammed them all into the texas revolution and like these are all these famous texas rangers and they were all here when in reality they weren't the the story of the texas rangers spans many years after that and some of those names did not become prominent until later but it's still makes for a good show so yeah Ugh, yeah. Uh, honorable mention: the geography of Texas Rising. <laughs> that that is that's worthy of of and like the, a podcast all its own. The, the ca- rocky the rocky hills and caves of the Texas coastal plains. <laughs> well, I've got plenty to say about that today. And, so let's jump right in as we've done each week on this show. Uh, but first, let's say thank you, History Channel, for being done with ten hours of this show. Okay, you know what? I do want to thank the History Channel as we tweeted this week. We have, they have indeed opened up a discussion about Texas history, and hopefully, this has encouraged people to go out and read about the real Texas history. Read, go listen to a podcast, or listen to a great podcast. Yeah. So to begin with, let's just recap the events of Episode Five: the Rise of the Republic. So we open with Sam Houston. He's in bed. He's recuperating in New Orleans. And that's code for heavy drinking and prostitutes. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the title says two months after San Jacinto, which uh, we guess that's better than getting a date wrong. Yeah, Yeah, it's at least fuzzier than a completely wrong date. Yeah. Secretary of War Rusk has returned to New Orleans to cajole and convince Sam Houston to return to Texas because Texas needs him. Yeah. 
Meanwhile, Mosley, Burnett, and Lamar are plotting to keep Texas independent rather than annexed by the United States, and this storyline kind of just goes nowhere. No, not at all. That's not even brought up again. Ray Liotta's beard, or Lorca, he rides into Victoria to find Thomas Jane's widow and her family, and he last saw her in the last episode praying at a church. His beard intimidates even Impresario Buckley. Um, they have a an interchange, and Impresario Buckley says, I don't want to mess with you. Uh, anyway, what we noticed was his horse was covered in blood still, and this has been like two months. So Yeah, so I don't know if they decided later in editing that this was two months later or what, <laughs> but I just thought it was odd that his horse was still covered in blood. Yeah, that poor horse. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so cut to John Coffee Hayes and Deef Smith with the help of the Rangers. They go on a wild mission to rescue Emily West from this highly contrived situation concocted by the Mexican army. Had there been railroads at the time, the Mexicans would have just tied her to a railroad track while they twirled their mustaches. Uh, it was just like the old Errol Flynn like kind of serial stuff. I mean, it, it uh, is very contrived. Actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree with you, Mike. I think this was actually the best Ranger scene of the whole series. It was actually entertaining. Uh, and the music was great. It actually kind of cribbed from uh, Sam Peckinpah's Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Uh, I I actually would love to have seen what pa- Sam Peckinpah would have done with the Texas Revolution, but oh, he, he died 30 years ago, so I guess yeah, it's not yeah. feasible. Yeah, I agree. It's a fun little scene. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure that those tactics match up with contemporary <laughs> um you know, ways of fighting in 1836, but it was entertaining. Yeah, and did I blink or did Brendan Fraser kill someone and dump him into a well? He did. I oh, felt it, bad okay. for whoever would have to use that well later. <laughs> yeah. Ruined a perfectly good well. Exactly. Now, as we know, no horse, dog, or child is safe in this show. Um, and the kid ranger who pranked Sam Houston previously and captured Santa Ana is killed when he celebrates at the end of the rescue. He let his guard down and got shot in the back. Mm-hmm. It was a very C-3PO moment. Oh, no, I've been shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. so we got we cut back to uh, Pauline Wyckoff, who is Thomas Jane's widow. Now, she takes in a battered Emily when the Rangers bring her uh, to her house, and uh, she's going to take her in and help her get, get recovered. And also, for some reason, she takes in Deef and his family, even though they've got a perfectly good house in town. But anyway, they... They come to the town, or they come to this farm to live with her. Oh, that's so nice. So a little time passes, and Lorca then rides up to see Pauline Wyckoff, and that's, of course, Tom Shane's widow, uh, and he's seeking redemption. And, and it was actually it was a very powerful, it's a well-acted scene. Uh, Ray Liotta shows his chops. He acts circles around everyone in this show, uh, in this scene. He gives Pauline all of his blood money, which was presumably taken off of all the Mezkins he killed, and he said that it must be used for good. I can't touch it again. And then we finally learn his name, which doesn't particularly matter because he uses it maybe one more time in the whole show. All right, so there's another bathing scene. All right, way to go. 1830s bathing, and this time it's Ray Liotta, uh, and they they bathe him and uh, shave his beard. Yep, and he's got nothing they ain't seen before. Yeah, he's got nothing they ain't seen before, but his beard enters into the Texas lexicon of legend. Yep. Um, I guess, like Clark Kent's glasses, having him being clean-shaven makes him almost unrecognizable to everybody 
uh, who's not dying of consumption, a child, or is actually watching the show on the TV. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but everybody else is like, do I know you? I think I've seen you before. Yeah. So Sam Houston returns to Texas and releases Santa Ana from his dirty cage <laughs> and uh, orders the Rangers, uh, I guess they're the only Rangers in the state, orders this company of Rangers to escort him to the border so he can see the president of the United States, Old Hickory Andrew Jackson. Right. Soon after that, impresario Buckley attempts to foreclose on the Wycliffe house and claim Pauline's slave Nate as collateral. Um, Apparently that's what her husband had put up for collateral when he bought the homestead. Uh, Buckley doesn't like her because she spit on his face in the previous episode. Um, She actually has the money to pay off the house, thanks to Ray Liotta's beard, and says that Nate is free, but Buckley won't take her money. Emily West ends up pledging two years of indentured servitude to save the house. So she performs yet another heroic action to save the day. The Comanche then attack with the Mexicans, uh, the Ranger Company, in an attempt to free Santa Ana. In the fight, Brendan Fraser's Comanche son is killed. Uh, but also, so is one of the comedy relief yokels, leaving just Ephraim and Beauregard to carry the comedy weight on the show. <laughs> yeah, so Emily uh, is working for Impresario Buckley in his saloon in Victoria, and he's making her miserable because she won't be a prostitute. And he's trying to, I guess, get up her skirt or something. I don't know. It's it's kind of a creepy scene. He, he's a creepy guy. He is a creepy guy, yeah. Uh, Lorca, who is now going by the name Tom, uh, he gets a job as a bartender at the bar. And again, this is a person he just had an encounter with and scared him. Scared him. He scared Impresario Buckley, and yet Impresario Buckley kind of recognizes him, doesn't really. So. Yep. But Lorca seems to be turning over a new leaf and starting a new life. Yep. Yep. He's already told uh, Pauline, he's already told Pauline that he's never going to hurt another person. So good for him. Yep. Which is kind of a bold claim and a bold promise to make on the Texas frontier. Yep. <laughs> Now, with the first presidential elections in Texas on the horizon, Sam Houston comes to Victoria, seemingly now the only town in Texas. <laughs> he <laughs> finds Emily and gives her a very presidential kiss. Mm. So one of the uh, younger rangers finally gets around to proposing to his fine gal, Rebecca, despite the fact that she's betrothed to another. Uh, her fiancé is surprisingly cool with this turn of events. Yeah, he, got he just like, pretty well. He like punches a bag of flour or, or hits yeah, a, I, kicks, I, I, a kick something. It was weird. Yeah, he yeah. tells him, I promised her daddy I'd take care of her. You better do that too. Or yep. something like that. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, while this Another is Another plot line on, that goes nowhere. Well, kind of it does. We'll see. Uh, so at any rate, uh, same time, Sam Houston, he's finding out from Emily what she's had to go through. So he goes and grabs Buckley and whips his butt across town, drags him across town, and then threatens to hang him in the town square as a traitor for not burning Victoria when he was ordered to. Um, So, yeah, that's kind of weird. But anyway, instead of uh, capital punishment, Buckley kind of weasels his way out of it, and he agrees to give the bar to Emily in the hotel. He dissolves all the debts on the Wyckoff place. And then Sam says... How about it? Drinks on the house, which he doesn't ask Emily since she owns the bar now. 
Yes, Buckley. But <laughs> yeah, then, giving away her brand new, all the free, yeah, give away all the booze <laughs> that he just got her. Yeah, Look. and then yeah, so then it it turns into a campaign stop. Yeah. Um. So Houston and Emily um make very <laughs> presidential love in the hotel room. Yeah. Um. And then she rejects his wedding proposal, but. Uh, before that happens, we get yet another bathing scene, and it's a uh, very shadowy, suggestive bath. Oh, yeah, yeah that's true. Yes. Yeah. A lot of bathing. Again, again <laughs> someone's watching Game of Thrones way too much. <laughs> There's a wild party at the bar, and uh, the uh, scoundrel Vern, dressed from Tombstone, is the black, black-vested gunfighter. He's, uh, just, he's drunk as a skunk. And he gets in a fight with uh, his girlfriend's dad, who is the old Sawbones doctor. Uh, and then the, the gun accidentally goes off, and it uh, kills Rebecca. Shoots her right in the eye. Yeah, very dramatic. Very, very, very sad. It was dramatic. It was sad. You were like, oh. Uh, I yeah. mean, she was. And, yeah, we'll, we'll she, get into that. I have some problems with that scene, too. Yeah. Uh, so then, just like the famous Marty Robbins song, he rushes out the back door. And uh, jumps on a horse and rides away. Yeah. So the next morning, everybody's hungover, and mm-hmm. uh, they're talking about Lorca, uh, the legend <laughs> of Lorca, while 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 Ray Liotta is sitting there tending the bar and watching. You, you would yeah. think that they would be talking about, hey, remember when there was accidental manslaughter committed right here in front of us? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and and so they're just having a grand time. Kit, I think he just sort of disappears. He doesn't ever show up again. Uh, maybe he's grieving or maybe he just doesn't care. Anyway, Sam Houston comes down and gets a drink and he recognizes Lorca and they have a, they have a gravitas laden moment, but everybody gets a second chance. Yep. Uh, after this, Sam Houston goes to the Wycliffe homestead to visit his ailing friend, Deef Smith, um, who is on his deathbed. Deef Smith dies, and there is a lovely funeral where all the rangers and any other important character short of Santa Ana shows up for his funeral. Yeah. Um, Brendan Fraser has returned. He's cut off his braid when his son died, and he's uh, wearing a bit of a beard, working on his Lorca beard, I guess, to fill that gap, that beardless gap. Uh, he lays one of his braids on Deef's grave, and uh, Shooter McCarns tells him to clean up. Well, you know, it just like everything else, like uh, it's all about bathing and yes. cleanliness. Yes, yeah. in frontier Texas. Yeah. So it, we jump to Washington D.C. and there's a scene with Andrew Jackson and Santa Ana, and they're talking about politics and everything else. Uh, he says, "I I like your house," um, but uh, Andrew Jackson eventually he decides to send Santa Ana back to Mexico and. Blah, 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 exposition. It doesn't, you know, blah, blah, blah. Although it's one another chance for uh, the actor portraying Santa Ana to really show his charisma, uh, which is something that I kind of always, you know, envisioned from Santa Ana. So yeah. I enjoyed that. And and Chris Christopherson playing Old Hickory is certainly, uh, certainly gruff and certainly grizzled. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, and this is the part where Andrew Jackson somehow is the one to inform Santa Ana that he is no longer El Presidente. Yeah, we'll talk about. We'll that talk about bit. that later. Yeah, we'll yeah. about <laughs> there's no a way. nice, there's a nice line in that scene where Andrew Jackson says, "You're the Napoleon of the West." Well, 
Who beat Napoleon? Wellington beat Napoleon. Napoleon. Well, I beat Wellington's generals in New Orleans. Like that was a neat scene. It was not yeah. accurate, but it was a neat scene. Yeah. <laughs> so we cut to the Comanche, and uh, we find out that Buffalo Hump has been exiled for being a, a jerk or something. It has to do with him aligning with the the, the Mexicans and not uh, staying out of the conflict. Well, he was supposed to be the eyes of his chief. And he got involved instead of just watching. Right. It was, well, this, there's issues with this scene too. Bad Buffalo home. Bad. 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 So we cut back to the Rangers because apparently this episode is all about the Rangers. And uh, there's a man from Louisiana comes in on them when they're playing cards. And he says uh, he recognizes Beauregard. Puts a gun to his head. Yeah. Puts a gun to his head and says he's a horse thief. And uh, Beauregard is actually using a name that's as fake as the actor's accent. <laughs> um, he apparently Beauregard forged a banknote for three hundred dollars to pay for a horse, and that's some dadgum expensive horse for eighteen thirty six because that's like six thousand dollars today. <laughs> but this is one of the more accurate scenes in the movie because lots of people in that time period, including our friend Jim Bowie. Forged banknotes and did all kinds of fraud and malfeasance before they came to Texas. Yeah, so, and in fact, all the rangers that are there with him chip in to pay his debt. And one of them mentions that he had even been involved in a land deal in Arkansas yeah, or something. Yeah, Henry Wax Carnes, Shooter, yeah. Shooter McCarn says that. So yeah. anyway, yeah, they all chip in and everybody gets a fresh start. That's that's things to be the theme here. Everybody gets a fresh start in Texas. Yep. Now that Texas won the revolution, uh, everybody gets to start over. Yeah, and then. The thing we've all been waiting for since the first episode. Something happens, and it's amazing, because they wrap up a plot point. <laughs> okay, John Coffee Hayes comes across another poker game in another saloon, and he sees Bigfoot's wrist cuff. And he tries to cut the cards for it, doesn't, but then, because he rode with Deef Smith, the scoundrel gives him the wrist cuff. Oh, so, that's, that is plot, way more exposition than that yeah, plot point deserves. Plot point settled. <laughs> Oh, man. (laughs) All right. Now, the last surviving outlaw woman who had robbed Hayes and Bigfoot uh, in the previous episode just comes across Vern hiding out in the woods. Vern, the one that shot Rebecca in the eye. And they have a strong drink together. I guess the outlaws are hooking up. I don't know. Yeah. At least we know what happens to Vern. uh, So uh, Ray Liotta is uh, a changed man. And uh, he is at a church social and giving out liquors to the children. But a Tejano boy who survived the earlier massacre recognizes him, gets a gun, and shoots him dead. But as he lays there dying, he does forgive the boy. Acting! (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, He he says that he, with his dying breath, he says that he lays no claim against the boy. Yeah, it's it's really good. It was a good scene. Again, like Ray Liotta, you're like Ray Liotta. You're you're so much better than this. I guess I guess Thank every you. everyone except uh, Ray Liotta's beard gets a fresh start in Texas. Then we cut to Mexico. Now the nice part is is that uh, where they film this in Mexico actually looks like Mexico. So this <laughs> is, is the Mexico. only this is the only like fairly geographically <laughs> appropriate part. So we, we cut to Mexico, Santa Ana returns, and it seems like he thinks like he, he's just, he thinks he's going to be toast. He's all trepidation, but his return is, is celebrated and he's welcomed as a hero. Which didn't happen. 
<laughs> right. Well, you know, don't let, don't get history in the way of my History Channel show. Yeah. Uh, but then it also gets parallels that Houston wins the election and is inaugurated. And be sure to tune into this week's episode of Sheldon Cooper's Fun with Flags. Yeah, yeah we we'll talk much, all about the, uh, the flag issues with this yeah, show. All kinds of flag issues. So, uh, cutting back to the Comanche, which is now Buffalo Hump and with what amounts to a small-town basketball team. There's about six Comanche. <laughs> They're going to go to war. So let's get ready for that, I guess. Yeah. All the surviving characters end up hanging out at Emily's bar and seeing The Yellow Rose of Texas about 15 years before it was actually written. Um, <laughs> but, hey, what are uh, you going to do? Uh, yeah. So Seguin... Juan uh, Seguin, oh, the, yeah, one of the few Tejanos in the Texan army, apparently. So we see once again, and he takes ashes of the Alamo victims, and he buries them basically right in front of the front door of the completely undamaged Alamo chapel. Oh, and also the wrong flag is flying over the Alamo, but whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah so the very last scene of uh, the show is the Comanche attack the settlers outside of Victoria, and the rangers go off to ride to the rescue. Freeze frame! Quacka! It, it is a literal freeze frame. <laughs> yeah. Oh, now that's not the end. The end, then we go to the credits. And we have to say that the credits have more actual history facts than the entire 10-hour series. <laughs> and they can't even get those completely right, but yeah. we'll talk about that later. Yeah. 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 And scene. Whew. So, uh, first of all, we want to say thanks to everybody who stuck with us through this because this has been 10 hours of television uh, and and we're so glad you made this ride with us. So let's start up with the egregious errors that make us completely crazy. Yeah, so we actually have this one divided into some to three sections. So first of all, the big ones. Here's the here's one of the big ones. The Rangers raid to rescue Emily. Now I like this scene. I thought it was a really good scene. However, we've already established that it's two months after San Jacinto, so that would be around June if they got the date of San Jacinto right. Um, which would be April 21st. So the Mexicans are, quote, not far from Victoria. And in actuality, in real history, the Mexican army was mostly gone from Texas by the end of May. Uh, some troops did remain in that disputed ground between the Nueces and the Rio Grande near Corpus Christi, was today Corpus Christi. But, Mike, I mean, that's pretty far from Victoria, right? It's, and, and it's, it's, yeah. It's not close. It's not close. Yeah, it's not yeah, close. And so, it's, and it's also still much further from San Jacinto than they imply in the show. It, you really like, I, I mean, even it's, uh, I'll talk about it in a little bit, but I, I think if you really are, are this deep into it with us, uh, you owe it to yourself to set aside half an hour this week to really have some fun on Google Maps. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> let's go to some street views and let's, 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 let's do that's, some mapping. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. So the, the Comanche and the Mexican army... Never, ever, ever allied. Period. End of sentence. Done. Full stop. Full stop. Full stop. Full stop. Northern Mexico was actually the preferred raiding territory to the Anglo colonies in Texas. And there was a whole lot of bad juju and enmity between the Mexican and the Comanche. Yeah, this is like a hundred years worth of bad blood. Yeah. 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 So most of the Indian tribes actually stayed out of this whole situation, just preferring to let the Anglos and Mexicans kill each other. Yeah. Well, they continued to raid the frontier homesteads. Yeah, exactly. Mostly up in the north. Yeah. Away yeah. from the battles. 
Yeah, and there's a, a famous story, the raid on Parker's Fort. It's north of Waco, uh, and this is the whole thing of uh, Cynthia Ann Parker's abduction, and that happened in May of 1836. And we have an episode coming up on Kwana Parker and his mother, Cynthia Ann Parker. So history got the first election, first uh, Republic of Texas election day correct, um, but they're showing the wrong flag. First of all, um, let's make a correction where it's due. In our recap of episode three, we said that the Texas flag, the Texas Army marched under, which was the uh, the blue field with the white star and the letters of the word Texas in each of the star's corners, we said that was wrong. Um but in fact, this is actually the first flag of the Republic of Texas, which is adopted after the Declaration of Independence. The second flag, which would have been in use when Houston was inaugurated in 1836, omitted those letters. Uh, the current flag of Texas, which is what they hung on the wall in that scene, uh, wasn't adopted until 1839. But I guess that flag is so prominently featured because it's the one that says Texas to most people. Uh, what makes matters worse, though, as uh, one of our listeners, Dylan Drummond, tweeted, was they even get the design of that flag incorrect. Somebody just wasn't paying attention. It's very sloppy. They have the point of the star of the modern Texas flag pointing down so that if you put the star right side up, the red field is on top, which is incorrect. The red field should be below the white field. Yeah, it's just it's just offensive that they didn't even I mean, it's like they don't even pay attention. What I want to know is why couldn't you just go down to Amazon.com, put in Texas flag and order up a flag? Because that seems like it would be this the easiest thing to do. Mike, they only had forty five million dollars to spend. On oh, I know. Flag. I know. Right. And it, it was all well, spent on caves. Every bit of it, I think spent it, on caves. So the the honored dead of the Alamo were not buried in front of the Alamo. Tradition holds that they were interred in with the honors at the nearby San Fernando Cathedral, where their crypt remains. Now, there is some evidence that at least initially Juan Seguin buried the ashes uh, in a peach grove, and they were later moved to San Fernando. But uh, either way, they are not under a cobblestone in front of the Alamo Chapel. At the time, uh, this whole complex was just a ruin and was in a state of disrepair for many years. Uh, oh, and uh, the the flag that you see, yeah, that's wrong too. So it uh, it looks kind of like what we think that Sean and I had to talk about this. It seems to be maybe the Dodson flag, which was another flag of the Texas Rebels, but uh, that looks more like French colors. And this one, the colors are all wrong. But anyway, yeah, whatever. Like, it doesn't. It's like red. It's like red and white and black or something. Yeah, and there's. Yeah. It almost looks like the the. Uh, Oh, Republic look. of the Rio Grande flag, yeah, but that has different stars on it. Anyway, it's like a weird mix of, of wrong flags, but it's all wrong. It's a bad scene. It was a waste of time. It was nice that we got to see Juan Seguin, but again, he's such a more important and prominent person in the in the story that I wish we'd have seen more of him. So those are some of the big ones. Now here's some little ones, little nitpicks. Some of them are nitpicky, but still, we need to point them out because... Again, it just shows in the lack of attention to detail. Um, so the first one is that on Santa Ana's journey from the Phelps plantation, which was not the plantation from Django Unchained. Yeah. It was and, a small farm. And he wasn't kept in a cage, which I think not we've kept talked in a about. Cage. And he wasn't kept in a cage. And also, the New Orleans, they were saying the New Orleans Grays have him prisoner. The New Orleans Grays actually are an honored 
unit of volunteers who came over to Texas early on in late 1835. Most of them died either at the Alamo or Colia. There was only seven that survived the Battle of San Jacinto. So these New Orleans Greys were not the ones that had him captive. Anyway, uh, they so so Fell's plantation is near Brazoria, which is south of Houston. Um, to get to the Sabine would not have gone anywhere near the Comanche territory. Uh, they did pass through the San Jacinto battlefield, though, and there were still corpses left rotting. This would be about November of 1836. There were still corpses on the field rotting in the field. So, yeah. hey, there you go. Santa Ana, look. There's your, your army. Yeah. There's your army. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, Sam Houston um, wasn't actually present at Deep Smith's deathbed. Um, I'm not sure there's a lot of information to show that they were, you know, close personal friends even. But uh, Deep Smith actually did not die until early 1837, um, almost a year after the uh, the Battle of San Jacinto. And what I I was doing some more research on Deep Smith, and I maybe I just haven't come across it yet, but I could not find any reference to him even having tuberculosis. It just says that he died in early 1837. So, hmm. so while that's a nice personal scene and a lot of emotion and it kind of ties up his story, um, not very historically accurate. All right. So Andrew Jackson never asked Santa Ana for all the land to the Pacific ocean in the scene. He says he wants Santa Ana to give him Texas all the way to the Pacific ocean and Santa Ana says, you're not getting California. Well, he never asked for it. He just asked for, he did ask for Texas. Um, but Santa Ana was actually, he declined and said no, because he actually was not the head of state of Mexico at the time. He had resigned from the presidency to go north to command the army, and he'd left his right-hand man, Barragon, in charge. Um, and so he was actually not the head of state. Then that's the, good, that's the point. Andrew Jackson didn't tell him he wasn't the head of state. Santa Ana told Andrew Jackson he was not the head of state. Now, Santa Ana did tell Jackson that he would use his political influence to try to get the government to ratify the Treaty of Alaska, at least to keep Texas independent. So there is actually a really good website uh, with a lot of letters and stuff and documentation about their meetings. So it's really interesting, uh, interesting stuff. But that that exchange did not happen that way. Hey, uh, can I ask you guys a question? Mm -hmm. You like baseball? Yeah. Cold beer, cold okay. beer. This had me like going, what? Sam Houston comes into the into the bar and he asks bartender Tom, you know, beer, cold. No, well, he said, well he said, technically, he says beer, cold as you have it. Cold, cold as, as you have it. it. All right, technically. And, and, and he pulls out a jug, and uh, an earthenware jug, and pours it. Right. Just, just, just stop right there. I don't think so, okay? <laughs> the first real brewery in Texas was the Kreischer Brewery, and that was established in 1855. Uh, the first, there were a, few, a handful of Germans in the 1830s, uh, but they don't even show any of those guys in the show. The bulk of these Germans didn't come over to 1844. So that's when cold brewery really yeah. kind of came up. Yeah, I mean, up, in, up until that point, uh, most of the beer was um, ales and uh, didn't need to be refrigerated. The German lager beers, they get their name lager from being lagered 
in caves to chill and ferment and age in the cool temperatures. That type of beer just was not there at that time. Right. He could have asked for a beer. He probably would have asked. If he was going to ask for an ale, he would have asked for an ale because there was a difference between those two drinks. It's it's not not outside of the realm of possibility that the he could have ordered an ale. However, I would say that character-wise, it would have been more in character for him to ask for a whiskey. Plus, if you really want to go technical on it, this was part of Mexico up until like two, two months before. So probably you'd more likely get tequila than whiskey anyway. So this just, just stuck out at me as it was, an, I know it's an, a nitpick, but it was just like, uh, uh, it just bugged me. It was like, it just bugged yeah. me. Yeah. Okay. And if you'd like to know more about the history of beer in Texas, we did a whole episode of it on it. Um, we did a whole episode on Texas beer and the history in this state. Um, we'll put a link in the show notes yeah. to make that easy for you to find. Yeah. Definitely. Now, let me just say one other one that bugged me. Uh, then I heard they saying at the very end, let's all go to Emily's place, the the special bar where we the only bar in Texas, apparently. And they all get around and have a rousing singing version of Yellow Rose of Texas. Uh, now, it's written sometime in the 1850s. I think it's some some sources say 1851, some sources say 1853, and they sing a slightly more modern, uh, slightly PC version. It uh, actually changes the word uh, "darky" to "soldier" in the very beginning, and then anything that's a sort of controversial part of the lyrics, they you know they sort of pot down the singing and turn up the dialogue over it. <laughs> so it's kind of an odd little song. So yes. everybody just knows the opening lines. They don't know any of the... Right. Everybody ever reads the lyrics. Regardless, it was not written in 1836. It was no. totally not, period. But again... And they know, and they know who wrote the, the song. So it's not like it's a, oh, this was a song that was just part of folklore and people just sort of invented it. No, someone specifically wrote it in 1851. Yeah, it was not, and it was not, it was not written by Manuel Flores. No, uh, it's not. Awesome guy, but he didn't write the Yellow Rose of Texas. Sorry. Okay. No. So here's, as I mentioned before, the scene with Rebecca getting shot in this saloon, in this bar. I will say this. In 1836, decent women would not have been in a saloon at any point in the 1800s unless they were working there. Uh, and then probably they wouldn't have been, quote-unquote, decent. But these, the doctor's daughter and Rebecca, they're in there dancing, and it's like a, like, the, like a social time. It's like the club. They're out at the club. That didn't happen in the 1800s. Women did not really go to saloons unless they worked there, unless they were part of what was going on in the saloon. So the idea that Rebecca would have gotten shot... Uh, in a bar brawl in a saloon probably is a stretch at the very least. Call me sexist, but that's, that is how things happen. It's not sexist. This is just the reality of the time. Right. All right. Well, let's just throw out the last bit. And again, this was, this is the special category. There was one <laughs> bonker, crazy thing. Bonkers crazy. I don't, so this came we, out of nowhere. I, I don't even know what the, this was supposed to be. When we saw the first episode, Sam Houston said, Texas is slave free. And we said, no, it's not. No, it's not. This <laughs> no. is, this is kind of bonkers. It ends with the secret slave scene. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So we talked earlier about when we were doing the, the plot recap that there's a scene where the impresario Buckley comes and tries to repossess foreclose on the Wycliffe homestead, Wyckoff homestead. 
and um, he tries to take their her slave Nate as collateral because that's what her husband had put up, you know, for the homestead. And um, she makes the claim, "Well, he's free. I freed him." So later on in the scene, immediately following um, when Lorca. Uh, throws his gun into the fire and says he's never going to hurt anyone again. There's a small scene uh, between Pauline and Nate where he says, you know, why are you, are you mad at me or something? She's like, no, why am I mad? And he's like, you know, why are you trying to free me? Like, you know, he's not going to know what to do with himself if he was free. And she says like the most bonkers, crazy thing I've <laughs> ever heard. And she says, um, I don't even remember exactly she what she said, said now. but she, she, she basically just, she says, um, you know, you're still my slave, but it's just a secret between us or something like That's that. Exactly what she said. You, you could still be my slave. It'll just be our secret. And my <laughs> wife, Cassandra, my wife, Cassandra and I looked at each other and she was not really paying attention. And then we looked at each other and she was just like, what, <laughs> what, what yeah, did we just I, watch? I I don't even know what that scene was supposed to be. It just completely derailed whatever concentration I had. Well, you know, I I'm I'm torn because there's a part of me that's like, okay, we're gonna take Texas history, let's mash it up with Game of Thrones, and then some other producer came and was like, what else is making a lot of money? People are talking about Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, let's mash it up with that. You know, I just don't understand like where this came from. Like, all right, I put just put it this way. We've said it before on the show. Like, look, owning people, not a good thing. Yeah. Like, slavery was bad, and it happened. I mean, it's a historical thing that happened, but this, like, almost apologetic, like, sacrificing of characters, people sacrificing their freedom, because it wasn't just this. Like, Emily West sells herself into essentially slavery for two years to save this woman's home. Yeah, the most righteous and good character. Lorca says, you're the best person in this whole show. You're the most righteous and good person. And she owns people. <laughs> yeah. After she freed them. But it, it's, it's, but it's, it's a very, secret. Yeah, it's very inconsistent. It's very inconsistent on, on one fact, because there was the, the scene earlier in the show where Emily is talking to no one and gives this long speech about how she was cursed with beauty but she also is talking about like that men that the the men who enslaved her treated her wrong, blah blah blah. So there's a powerful statement about slavery. Then, then there's this scene where she says, "You'll be my slave in secret." And I guess you could make the argument she's just trying to comfort this man. But like, this is not a real person. This is an actor. This is a these are lines written by someone. And someone thought, someone thought, I'm going to put this on paper. I'm going to hand this to an African-American actor and I'm going to ask them to act this, this scene out with a white actress. And yeah. that just is like, it blows my mind that someone would think, yeah, this is going to work. Yeah. I just didn't think it fit in no. the story either. It's like, I don't understand why that scene was there. It didn't make any no. sense. To it, me. I, actually, I have a theory. I have a theory. The next scene is the Mexicans and the Comanches attacking the Rangers to try to rescue Santa Ana. I really think they were just trying to blow everyone's mind and get them to not notice that the Mexicans and the Comanches are together. <laughs> That's the only I, thing I can think of. I don't know. So uh, you know what? How about this? You're listening to the show. 
Email us, tweet us, get on Facebook. Tell us your thoughts on why you think somebody would want to be a secret slave. Uh, and also, if you know somebody who is involved in this production at all, uh, we want to know. You know, we just we don't want to misrepresent what the intention was yeah. here because why, maybe this got noted to death. Why? Why yeah. is that scene there? That's what I want to know. Yeah, yeah, because the scene before it is very powerful. So okay. Very well so, acted. Very well done. So bonkers stuff. Let's yeah, get to the. Hey. Take a breath. Take a drink of water. And History Channel, why don't you just just relax? Because here comes some of the good stuff you got right. Well, I mean, we've said it before. Um, kind of one of the prevailing high notes of this whole series has been that Ray Liotta and many of the other actors, but especially Ray Liotta, is an incredible actor. He's taken this completely uh, made-up character and managed to intertwine his performance into everything that's going on and maintain some, you know, some power to that performance. It was very entertaining to watch him chew the scenery as uh, Lorca. Yeah, he's intense. He was great. Well, you know, another highlight of the show for me was Impresario Buckley. Uh, not only did he have the best boots of the whole show, but Indeed. he was... He was a fantastic bad guy. He did a great job as the bad guy. Uh, here's a quick fun fact. Uh, Robert Nepper is from the town of Fremont, Ohio, uh, which is also the hometown to President Rutherford B. Hayes. And, and it's just a town, one town over from uh, my wife's hometown of Oak Harbor. And I found out that he actually went to high school. He's about two years younger than my father-in-law. So he actually went to high school with my father-in-law. Uh, he's been on Carnival. He's been on Stargate SGU. He was on Heroes. He's been Prison in Break. A, oh, he's fantastic. He was, got nominated for some awards for Prison Break, I think. He was a yep. solid character actor. He's a great actor. Uh, he's just one of those guys of, uh, you know, what do I know you from? Yeah, and in this show, he actually literally twirled his mustache while looking sinister. So uh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So kudos to you, Robert. And uh, it's at Robert underscore Nepper with a K, K-N-E-P-P-E-R. If you want to say good job. Yeah. And, you know, the whole twirling mustache scene, I watched that and I was like, you know what? At least someone in this show understood that this whole thing is an overblown <laughs> melodrama <laughs> and took that to the logical extreme. I'll, I'll throw you, I'll throw you that the Crispin Glover, I think, did too. No. But I think Crispin Glover thinks of that of everything. So I was going to say I think Crispin Glover believes he lives inside of melodrama. So that's true. Yeah, we, I love Crispin Glover. Okay, so the Rangers stuff on this episode actually was a lot less uh, annoying than it has been in the past. Uh, it was a lot more interesting to me than in this episode than any of the other episodes. Um, there was actually some character growth. There was actually some interesting plot lines. There was some uh, there was some good stuff with the Rangers. So I, I really liked it. Uh, now. It could very well be that this is a backdoor pilot for Bigfoot and Jack, but... Well, I think if you pay attention to the titles at the end of the show, uh, they're kind of teasing um, a follow-up that they may be making. Um, and the titles right before all of the historical title cards, when they freeze frame on the rangers riding across the plains with the mountains in the background, um, they put up the title that says Comanche Wars. So... Maybe they're planning on doing that as a follow-up. So maybe all of this, like 50% of this final episode is about the Rangers and their interactions with each other. So maybe that's what they're trying to set up. Maybe. Well, I, I'm glad it's not coming out next week because I need a serious break. Yeah. Uh, so 
the other thing is that the, the credit sequence at the end, we act, we said this already, the historical facts on the title cards for each of the characters are actually really good. There's more history in that than there is in the whole show. But on the title card for Mirabeau B. Lamar, there is a come and take it flag. Unfortunately, par for the course, it's wrong. Instead of saying come and take it, it says come and get it. Oh, it's only <laughs> it's only the most iconic and historic piece of like Texas revolutionary history. Yeah, they got it wrong. So we are not the come and get it podcast. We're the come and take it podcast. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. uh, I will say Jeff Fahey really does look like Thomas Rusk. So yeah. good casting on that point. Well, you've heard what we have to say. And uh, we're glad that you're listening to what we have to say. Uh, but let's hear some second opinions. And these are things that you guys have said on social media. So Shelly Bean 979 says, nice history. I can overlook Texas rising inaccuracies out of love for all things Texas, but killing Ray Liotta's beard crosses the line. Oh, what a shame. We, we hardly knew you. Rest yep. in peace, Ray Liotta's beard. Okay, so Mary Neal, who has her mother as a Texas history teacher, said, Texas history teacher mom says, if you want a really good, quote, dramatic interpretation of San Jacinto, check out Gone to Texas. Texas Rising. So Gone to Texas is a movie from the 80s, TV movie, and about Sam Houston, and it starred as Sam Houston, Sam Elliott, and his mustache. That's excellent. Yes, so that was a great one. And actually, Michael uh, Michael Perret plays Jim Bowie in that movie. It's a great movie. It's it's an 80s TV movie. Who doesn't love Michael Perret? Boston Dave 2015 said, This episode of Texas Rising guest written and directed by George R.R. R. Martin. <laughs> Implying that a lot of people die. Yeah. Um, thank uh, One Astro Chick says, thank goodness Chris Christopherson said Sabine River correctly. Texas Rising. So he, he should because he's from Brownsville. All right. Uh, Scott Fulci says, now that I've seen Texas Rising, I can cross, quote, read Texas history book while dropping acid off my bucket list. <laughs> well, last but not least, let's have this one. Uh, our good friend Felicitas said, "Texas at Texas Podcast, still weeping Texas Rising didn't tell of Creed Taylor riding in on a unicorn to give Houston the golden Texas Lone Star. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's take a quick break and just say, like, well, this has been an amazing experience, guys. Like, all of you listening all of you tweeting, all of you liking the page. Thanks so much. If nothing else, watching this show so intently um, and picking it apart, both the good and the bad, has um, given us some new ideas on uh, shows to do in the near future. We're going to pick out some of the uh, more interesting parts from this and uh, cover some of those that we haven't already talked about. So uh, coming up, we're going to have an episode all about Emily West, the Yellow Rose of Texas, and uh, Deef Smith, and uh, some other other stuff. Yeah, we're going to talk about the Twin Sisters, the two canon. Just stay tuned, because we're going to have some more uh, good old Texas uh, revolutionary era history coming your way. Also, go to texaspod.co forward slash Texas Rising, and you can see a list of all the shows we've done on Texas Revolution subjects. Sam Houston, Santa Ana, The Runaway Scrape, The Battle of Goliad, The Alamo, and many, many other episodes. Yep. Yep. And, that's- and that's txpod.co slash Texas Rising. That'll take you straight there.
Gosh, what a wonderful ride, guys. Thank you for sticking with us through 10 long hours of television. Come back next week for more Texas history. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We need to hear from you. So like us, share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or get over to brainstable.com and leave us some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And if you want to support the show financially, please go to patreon.com slash texaspodcast. You want to follow us individually, too. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's. And I'm Scotticus. You love this show. You love Texas. You're not so sure about Texas rising. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell everyone you know. Go to iTunes and please leave a review because that really helps us out. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.